listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in, grab a seat, grab a beer, check out, grab me one of those Bear Republics out of the cooler and come have a seat with me. Uh, we're about to uh, have a deep conversation today about storytelling and storytelling tactics. And uh, I'm not just talking about the stories that we put on uh, the page to be put on the screen. I'm not just talking about the stories that we're writing in lyrics uh, that are being put out into music. Uh, I'm talking about everyday storytelling tactics. I'm talking about learning about how to have true conversations, engaging conversations, how to get people interested in your ideas, how to get people enthralled with what it is that you want to share. Uh, so many of us don't know how to communicate. We just don't. And I'm just going to come right out and say it. Um, there's a lot of us that I have friends and family members that don't understand the story structure, don't understand how uh, if you just rattle things off at somebody, uh, they get bored or you don't have an engaging hook for a story, right? All of the stuff that we use, all those techniques we use to make things interesting on screen, to make things interesting on the page are the same techniques that you could be using daily in your conversations, in your pitch meetings, in your conversations with strangers. Uh, these are skills that I have been learning over my 20 plus years of working in this industry. Uh, podcasting, being a podcaster and interviewing and getting to know and immediately connect with strangers uh, quickly has given me a lot more skills, many more skills than I ever had before. But I also learned a lot of my skills publicly speaking, like standing in front of the room filled with strangers and trying to keep them enthralled, being paid as the entertainment for that space for an hour and a half. How do you make all these strangers interested in your, in your stuff? And I found that it was the stories that I told, the experiences that I had, the emotional experiences that I had, that would keep people interested, that would make people want to be a part of what it was that I was making, that I was pitching. That I was doing. Uh, I'm sure if you guys haven't heard it, go back and listen to uh, some of my producer episodes of this show where I talk to producers and showrunners and people that uh, give a little bit of insight into who they collaborate with and how they collaborate with these folks. A real standout episode is with Mike Pruss, who is the, um, I think he's now in charge, uh, I think he's the vice president of development or something at Scott Free, but at the time, he was a producer there that I was able to convince to come on board for 12KM. And really the thing that connected Mike and I were stories about my experiences, not necessarily the movie. I mean, he liked the idea, he liked the pitch, but it was the story of my head injury, the story of how I learned from life and the connection that he felt with that that really formed a bond. And so many of you listening are like, how do you pitch? How do you get ideas across to people? I get questions all the time from folks. Like, how do you go into a room? How do I pitch a TV series? How do I make things happen? How do you convince sponsors to be a part of your show? How do you convince actors to be in your movies? It's the same technique straight across the board. It's being a storyteller. It's understanding how to emotionally engage folks. And so instead of just sitting here, 
and rattling off my experiences to you guys and and uh, rehashing stories that you've heard a few times on this show, I wanted to get someone on who does this, who has made a career of teaching folks how to tell stories. And what's even more interesting is how to tell people who feel like they're the most boring people on the planet uh, to convey emotion. He teaches uh, business professionals, engineers. He teaches people that have no storytelling background have no skills, haven't been trained on storytelling skills, how to pitch ideas, how to engage folks. This is a really great episode. Today I'm joined by Steve Rawling. Steve has created a, uh, a card deck uh, called Storytelling Tactics. And I found this, I was triggered by an ad, I think it was on Instagram. I think I saw an Instagram ad for it and it got me, it hooked me. And I went through and I was like, huh. And initially I thought they were like storytelling tactics for screenplay writers. And I was like, this is interesting. The illustrations were cool and I dug even deeper, but it went further than that. And I like the idea that he's teaching people how to use storytelling tactics in everyday communication. Because that will also affect my work, right? And I know that uh, a gentleman like Steve will have insight that you all have been begging me for and craving. Like, how do I get people interested in what it is that I want to do for the rest of my life, right? So strap yourselves in because we go into it. I just want to say up front, I am using the new version of Zencaster. So Zencaster got rid of their Zencaster Classic, which I liked. It was a stripped down version of the recording software they use. So now it's doing all sorts of shit. It's transcribing. It's got a, like a live time wave monitor. It's got all these animations that happen on the website. And I'm, I'm telling this to you, Zencaster, if you're listening to the show, please just strip it back down because I had two or three dropouts during the recording of this and I hate it. It's obnoxious because what it does is it ruins the pattern of our conversation. You guys will hear it in the show. I'm going to try to cut it so it's as disguised as possible. But there are these dropouts. And this show's all about communication. This show's all about making connections. Zencaster, get your shit together. Seriously. Or I'm out of here. Seriously. But anyway. Uh, thank you, everybody, for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. Uh, you guys have been sending me suggestions for guests. You guys have been keeping up with all of my crazy adventures. Um, I am back in Los Angeles. I am back here. We're planning a bunch of new uh, guests, a bunch of new episodes. I'm in the process of putting together some projects. It's going to be a busy, busy September. It's going to be a busy end of September for us. Um, so I'm here. We're creating content. I'm happy you're all with me. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Stick around for the ad reads on today's episode. I'm going to give you guys some tips. People have been asking me on Instagram, how do I become a super fan? There's a lot of tips and tricks that I'm going to tell you during the ad reads on how you could become a super fan, how you can become seen by the show as a super fan. And a lot of the super fans get those limited edition pins that we have. So make sure you sit through the ad reads in the middle of the episode to find out. Um, yeah, man, I don't want to uh, hold back too long on this. Let's get into it with Steve. Uh, he's going to give us, there's, you'll hear in the show multiple moments where I go, huh, I never thought of it that way. And I hope you guys feel the same way. So strap yourselves in, crank up those noise-canceling headphones, uh, find a great place to sit down, relax. You might want to take some notes on today's 
brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Steve, thanks for being on the show. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Mike. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I love your voice. You have the best voice for podcast. <laughs> thank you very much. I've um, I <laughs> I remember the first time I had voice coaching when I was working. I was a very young re- researcher working at the BBC, and my radio editor said, "Come on, come in the studio. I'll give you some some voice coaching." And uh, he made me read a script out, and then played it back and took it to pieces. You know, took took the took everything to pieces, and I was like, "Oh, this is so embarrassing!" Um, and I hated every minute of it. And uh, took me many many years to to actually learn how to relax in front of a microphone. <laughs> what are the tricks? Like, what was the what was the big thing that uh, that uh, made it work for you? Well, the first trick is to to if you're going to do um, right, if you're going to be reading a script, then the first trick is to write the script properly and write it in a conversational, write it in your own tone of voice um, or the tone of voice that you need to adopt. If you're going to be a newsreader, you're going to adopt a kind of you know, newsreader-y kind of tone, um, but write it in your voice, not the voice of the person who you, you know, who you keep seeing on the telly. So try and keep it to your voice, but, but write it in a way that you're going to be able to, able to get to the end of the sentence with enough breath left in your body to hit the the emphasis you want to hit. So that's the first thing, write well. The second thing is more about, it's more to do with the emotional tone and it's more to do with the fear of the microphone, I think, but also the ability to make a connection with your audience. And there's a great line, I can't remember who told me this, but he said, when you're in a studio uh, on the radio, you're not talking to everybody. You're talking to somebody. Oh, You're talking to one person. So you have a picture in your head of that. Who's that person I'm talking to? And in this case, it's me and you. We're talking, we're having a conversation. And yeah, you you imagine they're sitting across the microphone in the studio from you and you're talking to them. And that's what makes it feel like a conversation. And so the great, the great radio presenters, 
it's like they're talking to either one person or a very small room of people. They're not talking to a million people at once because you can't. Right, right, right. It's very smart, man. Very smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same trick actually works. If you, I don't know whether Mike, whether you ever, ever get plonked down in front of a lecture theatre with you know five hundred people in yes. it and asked to speak. Right, okay. Well, the same trick works is you're not talking to five hundred people, right? You're talking to one person, then another, then another, and then another, and you you kind of move your your eye line around the room. And you look for people and you make eye contact with them and you, you, you address a point or a sentence to that one person. And then you kind of move on to another person and, you know, maybe a different, completely different part of the room. And you do the same again. And what happens from the audience point of view is they instantly know that you're talking to somebody. That's the first mm-hmm. thing, right? Because the eye, line, the eye line and the body language tell them that. And because you're moving around, they think it could be me next, right? And therefore, <laughs> and therefore, I better not be. I better not. I better be paying attention when he comes to me. Um, and and I tell you what, as well, it massively reassures you that you are doing something reasonably okay. If that person you you fix on that one person in the audience, you tell them something, and they they kind of nod or they look like they've taken it, and you go, "Yes, okay." That <laughs> at least one person, one person in the room. <laughs> has understood has, has got it and then you move on and you just keep doing that so you never you never talk into 500 people you're talking to one person at a time i completely agree i completely agree yeah i i was told to do something very similar to that and then it's almost like learning a superpower like once you get over the yeah. that fear that anxiety that there are all these people looking at you and you go ah, actually the more confident that i am the more comfortable that they are you know, it's it's when you fall into that spiral where you lose your footing, and then the whole thing yeah, becomes yeah. uncomfortable. That that's the yeah, nightmare. Yeah. You kind of entered you've kind of entered into a contract with people um, when you're in that situation, and you know, especially if you're kind of you know keynote speaker or that kind of thing, um, where you are the entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're the show. Um, but even if that's not the, what the kind of speaking you do, even if you know, there'll be people listening who who don't have to do that kind of speaking but they still have to get up in front of a room full of people and make a presentation yeah um and this it's you know it's that look everyone in the room unless you're in a room full of actors right actors are different they're not quite human they're different people <laughs> if you're in a room right, if you're in a room full of actors they're all sitting there thinking i could do this better right <laughs> but unless if you're not if you're sitting in a room full of normal people they're all thinking thank god that's not me it's very true, right? It's very so, they're, true. so they're all kind of willing you, willing you to 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 succeed. A because they you might have something useful to tell them, yeah, right, and it'd be better to tell them in a stylish, confident manner than to you know to be painful, and and B they know this that you know they could be them next time and they you know so there's a lot of good in most places there's a kind of lot of goodwill and. Um, yeah, so you kind of you're up there, and in most situations, people are willing you to do really well. Yeah, I agree, and it's you know what's weird is uh, with the pandemic and with everything sort of going to Zoom, and I, I think you may know a little bit about the history about me. I'm a filmmaker and I'm a director, and and so mm. prior to 
uh, the pandemic, you would go in for pitches. Like you would go in and do yeah, like one-on-one yeah. sit-downs and pitch meetings and all that. And it's adjusted now to being very much a Zoom environment, which is a lot stranger because I feel like there was a lot more tools at your disposal being in person, whether it's like your physical appearance or your body language and being able to read yeah. other body language. Do you feel the same way? Has Zoom changed the way that you do your meetings? Yeah, it it did, and 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 I'm not a big. Fan. I mean, I'm you know I'm a fan insofar as it allows me to 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 work. It allows us to have these conversations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know it's a it's a you know it's a tremendous a tremendous tremendous tool, and you know how much you miss it when your broadband fails, um, <laughs> and you know and you're suddenly scrabbling around with a some sort of scratchy you know scratchy signal. Um, I learned pretty quickly. I mean. I had the advantage, I suppose, of, of you know, there's a lot of a lot of people in that early three three months or so um, trying to get the hang of of working on you know Zoom. Let's say mm-hmm. um, I had an advantage that I'd worked in TV for a long time, um, and so I kind of knew how to well, you know, the basic stuff, the really basic stuff that people were were just getting wrong on Zoom, which was <laughs> the the lighting and the position of the camera. Yeah. So you'd have that classic shot of you, know, you could see the top of somebody's head. You're looking up their nose, and in the background, there's a bright window, and so actually, they're just a, a, a blobby silhouette. Or, or <laughs> <laughs> the great ones where you, you know, I appreciate people who are working from home and all that, but come on, make your bed. Right? <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> and, and so, it's, it's little stuff like that of what's in the, sh- you know, how do you compose a shot? Yeah. What's in the shot? How do you light the shot? Um, Making sure you've got a decent microphone. I've got a, a headset on at the moment, but you know, a decent microphone because we can we can put up with shaky pictures. We cannot put up with shaky sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that's quite interesting about Zoom is, well, actually, you know, we were talking a second ago about body language and about how that got has all been stripped away, yeah, in, to a large degree by Zoom, but it not entirely because you've now got effectively a television size theatre space. Hmm. And if you've you've also got a camera which is which is touchable, it's within it's within. Usually, most people's cameras are within arm's length. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, it's like just. I mean, I'm, I'm going to imagine you're doing this with me as well, Mike. But imagine you put your hands, your two hands out in front of you towards the your camera on your laptop. If you're you know if you're sitting in front of a laptop, mm-hmm. you put your arms out in front of you, and then you put them about three feet apart and you've got and then three feet up and down you've got a huge range like you've got a mid-range of physical gestures you can play with right um so one one trick that i use a lot with people when i'm talking about particularly with scientists and academics and people who've got who've got a lot of data and then they, they they've got the data but they can't tell a story about the data and i say to them look you need to give us the big picture zoom out but also give us the individual exemplary story from within that big picture you pick out one example and go for example and then you zoom right in while i'm doing this my hands are going wide out you know behind my head mm-hmm. yes for the zoom out and then i'm using my pinched fingers two inches from the camera mm-hmm. to zoom in mm-hmm. so there's a kind of physical there's a certain physicality with zoom if you know what you know if you know how to, to exploit it you can you can you know you can you can make it a bit more engaging than you know just a row of, of talking heads. Although I'll be honest with you, there's not much you can do. I mean, I've taught uh, quite a few 
uh, webinars and classes mm-hmm. where I'm just staring at, I'm staring at a row of black boxes <laughs> with people's names on them. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, come on, come on people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's give play with me here. Just yeah. give me something. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm happy that you brought up that stuff because you're right. You're, you're directing your experience. Um, mm. and you're using that as a, a benefit, which I think is very smart. I think mm. that, like you said, with the little black boxes and people not turning on their cameras, I think a lot of folks also will, you know, filter their emotional output onto yeah, it, which yeah, makes yeah. it very difficult to get a read, um, yeah. in certain c- scenarios. Like yeah. if I go yeah. in and do a film pitch, you go yep. in and you know you do you you walk into a space you have your small talk you try to connect with the it's yep. like speed dating you know you go in and you yeah, yep. you try to do this quick connection and you're reading body language and if it took yep. me years to sort of learn how to read the language in the room and adjust what it is that I'm saying based upon that body yeah, language yep. and be yep. able to Absolutely. work off the cuff. Um, yes, there was it, a great conversation. Sorry, go on, carry on. No, 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 go ahead. This is one of those Zoom. Well, <laughs> this is one of those Zoom moments yeah. here. Well, yeah, <laughs> I had a great conversation years ago, pre-pandemic, with um, they were a film um, agency who were promoting film producers and TV production in Ireland, okay. and they do a lot of work in the in the UK with um, BBC, ITV, Channel Four, mm-hmm. big film studios. Mm-hmm. So they would they'd be sending uh, people like you over to the UK all the time on on these kind of pitching missions, and one of them came back and said, "Look." <sighs> You know that bit before the pitch, right? When you're talking about the flight and the traffic <laughs> and the kids and the the weather, yeah, that's the pitch, yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's the bit where they are working out, they're reading you and working out whether or not you can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And if you get that bit wrong, then you've, you're just going to say your piece and then go. You know, they'll show you the door, and if you get it right, they'll listen to you mm-hmm. properly and. And I thought, God, that's depressing. Um, it's true. And I, thought, God. and I thought, well, also, A, it's depressing, and B, how do you get started in a world like that? And C, the obvious, I mean, the really big, the really big issue with it is, if that's the case, and I'm, you know, from your experience, it sounds like it is as well. Yeah. If that's the case, that is the perfect environment for unconscious biases to to take root. You know, like oh. I don't feel very comfortable with this person. Mm. Well, maybe it's because they're not like you. Maybe because they come from a different, you know, different perspective from you. So, you know, but the fact that you don't feel quite comfortable with the way they sit or stand or look or whatever is is nothing to do with the product they're gonna they're gonna make for you. So, so it's a it's a tricky one. The bit of advice I, I gave people, I used to give people when I, in that sort of situation about you know going to meet commissioners or or producers or whatever mm-hmm. is. You know, you're gonna. There's going to be some small talk, right? Um, just have a little think about your small talk. Yeah. And so, you know, for example, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to meet the commissioning editor of Channel Four TV or BBC factual programmes, right, you're pitching a factual documentary to that to him or her. Yeah. Well, you know, you ought to be able to, in conversation, make a reference to last night's viewing figures for their program. You know, for for a a piece of content they produced. Hmm. So you know, you oh, you you know, I saw you got one and a half million for uh, blah 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 blah. That's not bad, is it? You know, stuff like that is just you know, just think about your small talk, and think you know, what are you gonna? What can you drop in that makes you look like you belong there? Smart. That's very smart. Yeah. 
I learned a lot. We did uh, a few years ago, we did a pitch session where we had a film and we ended up going out and pitching for about seven days. And I think we hit like mm. 15, 16 different production companies. And the pitch was long. It's, it was like an hour long yeah. pitch. And so, yeah. and it was here in Los Angeles, which meant that like you're driving all over the fucking place yeah. to get to all these different things. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I learned pretty quickly uh, about small talk and the importance of small talk because at the end of the day, we got picked up like uh, Ridley Scott's company picked us up because of one of my stories. And it had nothing uh. to do with the film. They had seen the film. They had already made a prejudgment on my short film and on all my pitch yep. materials. They already liked the yep. idea. And the reason so, why I was going in there was to see if they liked who I was as a human being. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So what was the story you told them? You think that made the difference? Because you're absolutely right. The, the yeah, entrepreneurs... I, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who pitch product. Yep. Um, and would, so I, I've occasionally spoken to kind of venture capitalists who invest in, you know, in, in, on, in product. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and, they, and they say, actually, oh, they are interested in the product, but they are much more interested in the person behind it because no product ever pitched is perfect and it will never reach the market in the state that you pitch it. True. Um, therefore, there's going to have to be changes to the product along the way. And if what they're looking for is, is this the kind of person who can handle mm -hmm. that sort of stress? Is this the kind of person who's going to say, no, my way or no way at all, and dig their heels in? Mm -hmm. In which case, there's no point. You know, there's no point because it won't work because it never does. You know, so, so I don't think it's the same in, in, in movies. If the movie you make is ever the same as the movie you pitch, Probably not. No, no, never, never, never. It's always going to go through changes. And that's kind of what our job is, is our yeah. job is sort of mediating these changes and dealing with the stress that these changes bring on us. It really is a director. That's what your gig is. So I agree with you, man. I, th I th So, so listen, I'm really curious. What, what, what was this? I'm curious. What was the story that you, can you remember? What was the story you told yeah. that reassured the Ridley Scott people that you, that you were okay? Well, so my listeners have heard me talk about this a few times. The, the story is that uh, when I was uh, before I made this idea and this I, this proof of concept movie that I was doing, um, I almost died. So there was a uh, a situation uh -huh. where I went on a first date with this girl, and uh, she or no, it was like a second or third date, and she was uh, constantly you know bringing up ice skating. And I would just sort of brush it aside because right. I had never been ice skating before. So I just brush it away. And she was like, well, you know, I'd love to go ice skating with you. It's really fun. We can go down to this big pond, this ice pond, and it'd be great. And I was like, sure, sure. At some point, we'll do it. Well, finally, she approached me and she's like, you always brush aside this ice skating thing. And I went, all right, all right. You know, and in my head, I went, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'll twist an ankle or whatever. Um, and so I went. Yeah. We, we went to this pond. We went to this ice pond. And uh I strapped on these, you know, blades onto my feet. I never had ice skates on and put these blades onto my feet and <laughs> and stepped out on the ice. You know, the whole the whole concept of like, you know, skating around on blades on ice, it just doesn't make sense to me. So 
So I step out on the ice and she's smiling. She's beaming because, you know, she's contributing to our dating relationship and she's pulling me around the ice and she's teaching mm -hmm. me how to do this. And the, uh, the, the man in me, the macho in me is hurt and bruised because I'm just being tugged around the ice <laughs> as these little kids are ice skating around me, you know, with full confidence. And, and uh, I said to her, like, yep. give me a second. You know, like, uh, go skate away and I'm going to figure this out. Like, go skate off and I'll catch up with you. And mm. and I'm, I'm standing there on the ice and I look down at this little, like, I don't know, must have been 10-year-old or whatever. And the kid just pushes off and he skates away. And I go, oh, it's pretty simple. <laughs> and so I do the same thing. I push. And what happens is, is I slip, fall yep. backwards. My feet come out underneath me. I land mm. on my head. And the last thing I hear is an oak barrel <gasps> crack. And then I'm out. Wow. I'm out. And uh, wow. Wow. She says her story is really funny that uh, everybody on the ice heard me hit it. And the owners of the <gasps> ice skating rink um, was just skated out little orange cones around my body so that people could continue oh, no. to skate. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're dating. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but you were obviously you were okay. But um, well, you were knocked unconscious. So I was out cold. I ended up waking up in the uh, in the uh, intensive care ward, and a doctor's shining a flashlight in my wow. eyes, and he said, "All right, here's the news: uh, you've cracked your skull. You have a hematoma forming on the top of your brain. Um, normally, what we do is we drill in to release Gee, the pressure, wow. but if we drill too deep, it's right on top of a blood vessel. We'll kill you. So we're going to see if it stops. Yeah. And." Uh, Call your family. Wow. We can't let you go to sleep. And this is a life-changing event for you. Um, and uh, wow, it was intense, man. It, it, it put a halt on my life. It put a halt on uh, my mm -hmm. perception mm -hmm. of what was keeping busy and what is what it's like to be a freelancer and what it's like to be any of that. And I was out of the game yep. for about a half year. Um and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty crazy, pretty, pretty crazy shit. I ended up fully recovering and the process itself was really great because I got to experience hallucinations. I got to experience all this really crazy stuff mm. safely because I recovered from it. Um, but it triggered yeah, yeah. this idea for this movie and I wrote this film uh, in that state. And when I finished that, right. I came out of it and went, this is my life. I have to make this fucking movie and I have to do this. And and uh, that's that's where the movie came from. And so, so I guess from the if so, I mean, I don't know if you ever had this conversation then with the production team, but when they were when they were listening to that, because mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like that's the kind of that's the origin story of your idea for the movie, isn't it? Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so so when they were in their heads, were they thinking this guy really this matters? Yes, this idea of this movie. This isn't just another movie pitch. This is actually something where. The, so he's in the words. If we go with him, he's going to be very committed to seeing this through. He's not going to. He's not going to walk away. Yes, I think that was a big piece of it. The other thing that because I've since become really great friends with those producers and uh, mm. the producer that hired me had a very similar situation he had like a car accident he almost died in a car accident so there was a uh, lot of empathy there that was the, there was a connection through empathy yeah, yeah. um and then there's also something fascinating i use that story a lot when i'm meeting people for the first time because it it also humbles yep. you as an individual and you start to see the larger picture and when you're talking as a director it's important to get beyond 
your vision sometimes and to sort of get that helicopter viewpoint and be able to see the larger yes. picture of everything that's happening and what is important and what is not as important. And I think that also helps ease people into my understanding of that, you know? It's really interesting, it's interesting what you said because, um, you know, they, there's a lot of debate in in the creative arts about who can tell whose story mm-hmm. um, and about portrayal and represent- representation and this kind of thing. But, I mean, sure. there's no way you can tell. So there's no way you could have told by, before you'd gone into that room and met that producer that you were about to tell a story about a, 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 you know, a life-changing, potentially life-changing injury to somebody who coincidentally had experienced a potentially life-changing injury. Mm-hmm. So we never know. This is the great thing about keep you know trying to keep an open mind, isn't it? Yeah. But you never know. You make you right. We we make all sorts of snap prejudice judgments about people when we when we meet them for all kinds of reasons. But actually, what's fascinating is our lives, people's lives, are so varied that you just never know what you're going to make a connection, how and where you're going to make a connection with people. hundred percent. And I suppose the um, the thing is like well, a first keep an open mind, mm-hmm. and and b. Um, yeah, offer up a, offer up that if you offer up a story, then people will find if they want to if they if they're that way inclined they'll find points of contact, they'll find points of similarity, they'll find ways. So story's going to help you build a bridge. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And I, I would I would also add to that and say that uh, one thing I've learned doing podcasts a lot is that mm. you learn to actually want to be in a conversation. It isn't about me sitting here waiting for you to finish speaking to hit you with my point. I'm actually listening to you and learning from you. And I find that if I'm not having a conversation in which I'm learning something, why am I having the fucking conversation to begin with? Well, here's here's a really interesting thing. And and Zoom, I've seen this happen on Zoom, and I've seen it happen in real life. And somebody goes into their spiel, and they go into... And you can hear it, you can see it, you can feel it. You go right. You can feel the difference between somebody. <laughs> I've been I've been having a conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. and now they're in their they're in their they're they're on the script. They turned it on, yeah. Right? They've and turned it, it on, yeah. They've turned it on. Yeah. They've turned something on, mm-hmm. or they've or they they have fallen into a groove that's familiar, and they're going to go with the groove. So sometimes, look, sometimes when we tell an anecdote um, or a favorite story, whatever, mm-hmm. um, we find ourselves in a groove. And, you, and, and you're thinking, and part of you is thinking, God, I'm bored of this. Uh, what <laughs> yes, shall I do? Yes. Um, yeah. And so, that, so that's quite interesting. But no, we can definitely hear it when people have, when they're not really talking to you anymore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can definitely hear it, mm-hmm. and and it's you know okay. Sometimes it's important. So there there are like a a film pitch, a sales conversation, um, a presentation of information. Okay, I expect you to be on script, sort of on script for that. Yeah, but in a conversation, I really don't. In a conversation, no, I I I think you want to see people, you want to hear people thinking aloud. Yes. Yes. I find that that's very true. And at least I, I find myself getting into that mode. What, like if you're doing film pitches to multiple places and you're going into like three or four places a day and then you start running through the film pitch. And when I first started doing it, I'd start to become self-conscious because I would hear that and I would feel that within myself and just go like, I'm yep. telling the same fucking thing again. And one of the things uh, that I would do to counteract that is, 
is that I would stop and ask questions in that moment. Like yes. whenever I was feeling yeah. that, I'd go, are you guys with me? Like, what do you think about this? And, and what do you think about what I just said? Mm. And that helped sort of yep. break yep. it and make it more conversational again, you know? Yeah. 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 No, it's absolutely right. And, um, and also there is a, you know, there can be a danger as well with, you know, you, so you can have different degrees of, of confidence in performance, your own performance. Mm -hmm. There can be a natural danger if you're a really confident performer that people actually sit back and go, yeah, come on, let's enjoy the show. Yeah. And you actually want them engaging. You want them to, yes, obviously, part of you wants them to sit back and enjoy the show, but the show, you don't make your money by doing a great one-hour meeting. <laughs> you, know, you make your money by, um, you know, by making a movie. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to actually have proper conversation. Better still, you know, much better to have a difficult conversation, I think, in those settings than to have a smooth ride. Yes, yes, yes. Because the engagement makes it what it is, especially when you're talking about, you know, creating a film because it's collaborative. And so there's this rumor that, uh, you know, filmmakers can be geniuses and they have all the answers. It's bullshit. Most of the time we don't know, we don't know yeah. how to get to this point. I was just watching that doc series on industrial lights and magic and on George Lucas. Yeah. And, yep. uh, <laughs> I loved what, the way he would handle some of the stressful questions and, and how he would just say like, I, I don't, he, he com blatantly comes out and says, I don't know how to turn on a computer. And he's, he's known for doing the most amazing computer mm. special effects and stuff. He's like, I yeah. just, I surround myself with people that know how yeah. to do these things. I mean, the, you know, the fascinating thing as well, um, you know, it is a, yeah, you're right. It's a collaborative process and you can, We've all had that moment where, where you go to you go to the cinema because you've seen a, a film that's been trailed. Okay, let's 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 call it out. The latest Thor film, right? I don't know if you're <laughs> if you're a Marvel fan, I'm quite a Marvel fan. The latest Thor film is absolutely sucks, <laughs> and it's just it's an awful. But it's got all the ingredients. It's got like so it's got um, it's got a great director. So the guy who the, I can't remember his name now. Um, Ta Taika Waititi. That's the one directed Thor Ragnarok, directed What We Do in the Shadows, so he's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. Ragnarok, the first, the second Thor film, was really funny. And so he's in charge. Great. It's got the cast, who we all recognize, fantastic. It's got lots of, you know, obviously, uh, it's got all the ingredients, and it's got a massive budget, and it still comes out and absolutely stinks. It was, it was a disjointed, yeah, disjointed film. Though. It was so boring. And, and so you think, look, even when you've got one of the world's smartest, surely, directors mm -hmm. and massive budget and great cast and all the, you know, and all that Marvel kind of history, <laughs> you can still make a rubbish film. Yes, you can. You know, and, you know, and, uh, and, and nobody can quite explain why. Yeah, I always say it's a miracle when a movie's done. If you go watch a piece of shit movie, it's a miracle that that was even made. <laughs> we always know that uh, the spike. Right, that is one of your most, you know, creative tools. The ideas that you spike, that don't go anywhere, the ones that you've, you know, you call time on. Mm -hmm. That's your kind of most creative tool. I remember when I was when I was working in the BBC, I was working in mostly in news production, so TV news. Yeah. Um, we had this team of consultants came into us once. And they were talking about lean production, right? And lean production was basically make more with less so make, get get the most out of all of your assets don't waste and don't waste anything right reduce waste 
again and again. So reduce the waste so you're running so lean you've got no fat. Mm-hmm. There's no waste. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why commission five stories and then drop three of them as the day goes on and commission three new ones? And I'm going, because that's what happens when the agenda changes. You commission, you know, you start off the day with eight stories you'd like to to do on that half-hour show, mm-hmm. and it's a miracle it's a miracle if by the end of the day you've done those eight stories and nothing else. But not only is it a miracle, but it's a boring day, yeah. right? And there were producers I worked with who, who tried to basically make the safest possible day they could, where they'd commission eight stories and just you know, and then just stick to those stories. And they were wrong. Mm-hmm. They were lean, but they were wrong. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the spike of saying, something else has come along that's better than what I was planning – Therefore, I'm going to spike the story I was planning, and I'm going to turn to that that story instead. That's the creative act. Yeah, hundred you know, percent. And it is wasteful. It's wasteful. Yeah, you know, you've, you've you've shot footage you're never going to use. Um, you know, you've wasted people's time. But that's the creative process. It is wasteful. So you imagine, you know, imagine there's a landfill site somewhere that's full of you know digital movies like or, or reels of whatever 35 <laughs> mil whatever you know there's a landfill that's full of all the films that never made it yeah 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 scary isn't it i agree yeah it's 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 fascinating and, and when you go back and you watch the classics like i've been watching um a lot of coppola stuff and i watched the uh hearts of darkness documentary which is the one on the making of apocalypse now and uh, that process, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. two hundred days of filming, and that process of like throwing out entire sequences yeah, and yeah. and uh, rewriting scripts and trying to find mm. something that felt real and felt yeah. inspiring and legitimate. And that movie's a classic. That movie's a yep. a masterpiece. And if yeah. you if you're a business owner, yeah. if you're someone that's fronting the bill, it's a fucking nightmare because it's. You know the creative process is so messy <laughs> to be able to come up with something that is that yep. that is that level of of content, and arguably, I would say that uh, a lot of the content that we're seeing today is we're in an industry that has been dominated, sort of uh, gobbled up and and eaten by these big corporations. So they're running this stuff very sort of the same way they would run, you know, the manufacturing of tin cans. They're they're yeah. trying to yeah pump these things out and stamp these things out. And so you're getting sort of a very uh, safe sort of pasteurized uh, storytelling system that is formulaic. Mm, mm. And I'm sure you see yep. this in, yeah. in like documentaries and news pieces and anything that Netflix puts yes. out right now where it's just emotionally formulaic. And there's no stress. Yes. There's no money stress for them, you know? Yeah. Okay, everyone, it's time to take a break. It's time to talk about gear. It's time to talk about the men and women that make the show possible. It's time to uh, talk a little bit about our sponsors. Now, there's a lot of new listeners to the show, and that means that the diehard listeners, the super fans, have been doing their job, and they have been telling folks that In Love With The Process is the show to listen to. I've seen the numbers. They have been going up. It is because of you guys. I Honestly, it is word of mouth that makes this show possible. It's not like I've gone and done a recent guest on another podcast and I'm bringing over a bunch of traffic. It's you. 
the men and women that listen to the show. So thank you, everybody. Um, and a big part and a big reason why the show continues to exist once a week, sometimes twice a week for you all, and you don't have to pay for it, is the sponsors of the show. Now, when I do my ad reads, I do them differently than other podcasts do. Here's why. I love these people. I love these companies. I use these products. And I'm not just a guy that's saying that, because I know you hear this a lot on the podcast. If you know, if you've been into my space, if you've hung out with me, you know I edit on Puget Computers. You know that I am using Jambox songs continuously in all the recent projects that have made my projects better, that have got me work, has got me work, and that I have been shooting lately with uh, Fuji Film, and that I've worked with Blackmagic Design. I work with all this stuff. And I, what I try to do with the ad reads is not just do ad reads. If you notice, there's similarities, but I'm not reading, I'm not reading scripts. I'm trying to get you guys a little bit deeper insight into how this stuff works and whether or not you need it, whether or not you should go out and buy it. And I've said since the beginning of this show, a gear is a, a tool is a tool, gear is gear. You got to dig a hole, go buy a shovel. Don't buy a shovel before you need to big, dig a hole. You know what I'm saying? And don't let the manufacturers of that shovel tell you how to dig your fucking hole. You know? So uh, let's get into it. Um, first up, I just want to say today's show has been about, you know, trying to get better at pitching, trying to be a smarter uh, better storyteller when it comes to getting money, getting people on board, convincing people to be a part of your production or part of your project, you know, convincing people to come into your restaurant, convincing people to listen to your album. Uh, and a big portion of that is your physical appearance. Now, we do this as storytellers consistently. How does the character look? What colors are they wearing? What does the audience think when they see this person on screen? You should be thinking the same way when you set up to go do a meeting. Let's say you're going to go do a pitch. Don't walk into that room wearing the same clothes that you were, you know, gripping a shoot with last week. Because they're going to judge you. We live in a world where we like to pretend like we're not judging folks, right? A lot of people are like, I'm not a judgmental person. Bullshit. We all are. It is in our nature. That's what we do. We examine people as they come into the room and say, is this person a threat? Is this person trustworthy? And we base that initially on looks, right? That's what we do. So wouldn't you use what we do naturally to your advantage? I learned this. It took me a while to learn this. I feel like being a kid that worked in garages and house painted for years, I was very much against it. I was like, I'll wear whatever the fuck I want. But I have realized that if you walk into a room looking a certain way, you immediately jump ahead a certain amount, right? The conversation jumps ahead. You earn trust without even working for it. Now, I bring this up because one of the recent sponsors of the show and they're a small sponsor at this point, but I love them. Uh, I just got hooked up by my friends over at Portland Leather Goods or patina.com. That's P-A-T-I-N-A.com. They know that I love wearing boots. I'm a big boots guy. Um, it's tough to do out here in Los Angeles all the time because it gets hot as fuck. But as we're pushing into the winter, um, I really love wearing boots. It's been my thing. It's the whole, you know, blue collar bullshit part of me. Um, and so uh, these guys sent me out two pairs of boots, which I really fucking dig. Uh, the quality is like very high end. Um, and I just like the way they look. If you head on over to patina.com, that's P-A-T-I-N-A.com and check out, they sent me their welted Brooklyn boot, which I really dig. 
I can't wait to wear those in. I think they're going to look better with time. And they sent me their, that was their Canyon color. And they also sent it to me in black. And it's been a while since I've had a black boot. And I really liked the brown accents that happen on it. This is something that Gina taught me a while ago, is that you can wear brown with black. She's in there smiling and shaking her head like she's improved my life. Yes. Uh, but I, I dig them, man. I really like them, and it's important. I'm, the question that I'm always asking myself is, what kind of shoes do I wear when I go into a meeting, right? I'm always sort of like, I'm not really a sneaker kid, you know, and the sneakers that I do wear, I, I wear a specific brand that feels sort of elevated, but I'm not the type of guy that's walking in with like, you know, Adidas or or I'm walking in there with with Converse on. I feel like there's just a narrative that comes with that type of shoe, which is, I don't, I don't, I don't want to judge anybody, so I'm not going to say what my thoughts are on that, but I'm always looking for something that's a bit more elevated, that's a bit more blue collar on the ground, but also a, a set of shoes that you can walk into a room with people that are wearing suits and they're not going to like look down at you, right? Because when we're pitching ideas and we're pitching movies and we're, you're, you're convincing someone to let you use a location, all that says everything. You know what I mean? And so uh, I'm very excited uh, to be promoting uh, Patina and their boots. And uh, big shout out to their sister company, like I said, uh, the uh, Portland Leather Goods. Uh, and here's the thing. Let me just do a quick read that they sent me. Our boots are hand built from the best materials and the best price anywhere. Easiest buying decision you'll ever make this year. Our leather is made from the highest quality full grain leather tanned to perfection and handcrafted into boots that you can wear with honest confidence simple buy with confidence um check out at patina on instagram that's p-a-t-i-n-a i'll go over there and uh send some love say hey thanks for uh sponsoring the podcast this is for the super fans or people that want to be super fans you do that shit and you tag me in it it registers. You might get a pin. So head on over to at Patina and tell them that you appreciate them being on the podcast. And here's the good news. If you go buy stuff right now, they have a 25% off sale with this with the code SUMMER25. So head on over to uh, patina.com or you can head over to portlandleathergoods.com as well. That's where I found them initially. Um, so yeah, uh, speaking of cool companies to work with, my friends over at Puget Systems are the best in the business. These guys build powerful PCs, edit systems. If you're a filmmaker looking to uh, upgrade your system, if you're someone that is running a post-production facility, this is important. If you're running a post-production facility, if you're trying to set up a color suite, if you're trying to set up multiple computers and you want all these computers to be able to talk to each other, you want them to be affordable, you want them to be upgradable, because there's nothing worse than when you're using like the larger Apple products and suddenly they decide that, hey, guess what? We're done with this. That's a huge fucking investment when that company suddenly decides to release a software update that renders everything that they have useless. If you run a company, because I used to run a post-production company, if you run a company, you know what that feeling is like, where you're like, fuck, this is going to cost me thousands and thousands of dollars. And my systems literally were doing exactly what I needed last week, and now I have to do this upgrade. Someone sent me a post recently. Oh, was it for Parasite? Have you guys seen this post on, on uh, social media stuff? They were saying that the editor from Parasite actually edited that movie on Final Cut Pro 7. Right? So I'm not selling Final Cut Pro 7, but my point is, when you're cutting a picture, you're cutting a movie, you really don't need these consistent upgrades. 
right? We're all part of this this uh, subscription plan where it's like, ah, bigger is better. And half the time, I feel like every time I do an upgrade, I'm fighting uh, my hardware at that point because I'm like, why does this not run? Why does this not play back the way it used to? Do you guys notice that? What I love about Puget Systems is that they're a family. They have true customer support. They have true support on their website. Head on over to the website, read their articles. They talk about specific upgrades. They talk about pieces of hardware and pieces of equipment, whether or not you should spend that extra money on it. Half the time we're sold to buy the biggest, newest thing, and it doesn't fucking work well with the programs that we already use, that our clients want us to use. You know what I mean? PugetSystems.com is a great resource. Head on over there right now, check out their computers, check out their stuff. Uh, and if uh, you just want to ask them some questions, they love uh, consultations. They love that. They love talking with folks. So tell them what you got, tell them what you need, and follow them on Instagram at Puget Systems, super fan wannabes. That's where you go and say, hey, we appreciate you sponsoring in love with the process. Tag me in it, and I will see you. You will feel seen if you do that. Is that what they say today? <laughs> uh, also supporting the show are our friends over at jambox.io jambox.io does license they're one of the game changers for licensed music hold on jambox dot hold on a sec guys dot io I'm gonna go to their website see if they got anything new on it um oh hell yeah Oh, hell yeah, they have a code for us, too. Fucking good news, everybody. All right, so jambox.io, this is where you go to get licensed music for anything that you're cutting. So if you're doing a podcast, you want to have it not sound so fucking boring anymore, this is a this is a little trigger for a lot of you that do shows. I've heard your shows. They're fucking boring. It's because you don't have great music. It's because you're not setting the right tone. Go to jambox.io. Just listen to the music that you get access to. And if you use their unlimited creator subscription plan, you can use any of their music for $9.99 a month. That's only $119 for a year, right? And you could use that stuff for all social media stuff, streaming, personal student projects, podcasts, etc. Uh, I'm a part of their unlimited commercial plan, which is $19.99 a month. Here's the kicker. I had a client that hired me to do a gig. I needed to use the music. I charged them the full annual fee. Why not do that? Now I have access for the whole year on unlimited commercial stuff. So I could use not only their music, but their sound effects, their stems to create corporate videos, weddings, commercials straight across the board. And if you're a student listening to this, six bucks a month gives you access to all that as long as you're using it for your student projects, film festivals, web streaming, social channels, etc., etc. Um, you can also do single song licensing. Go to jambox.io right now and sure, check out their price plans, but go listen to the music. Even if you're not a subscriber yet, listen to the music, go through it, have it inspire you. If you've seen any of my recent cuts this year, it's all been, music has come from Jambox, right? And I've got comments from you guys going, that sounded fucking rad. It's Jambox, dudes. That's where I grab it. That's where I get the stuff from. And because you're a listener of the show, they're doing a fall special for our listeners because we've been crushing it for them. So between September 15th, which is in a couple of days, so I'm recording this on the 12th, so by the time this episode's out, this will be in place. September 15th to October 15th, they're giving 20% off all of their subscription plans if you use the promo code ILWP20. That is ILWP20 at jambox.io. 
go there right now and have it change your fucking world. I cannot say this enough. It will change the way you make your work. It'll get you clients. I'm telling you. Big sponsor of the show. We love these guys. I'm so proud to be sponsored by them. I'm so proud to be a part of this family. Um, I really love the people that work at Fujifilm. You guys have heard that Bulgina and I are sponsored by Fujifilm right now uh, for two different reasons. Gina sponsored for them on the still department. She's using their new medium format camera to do all her still work, which is amazing. And I'm using their point and shoot uh, video camera, which I really fucking dig. Um, and I've been able to shoot some beautiful stuff with that. Um, their lenses are impeccable. The autofocus on their cameras are amazing. And I know you, there's a lot of like, you know, purebreds out there that are going autofocus. I never fucking use autofocus. Why would I, you have to use autofocus? Well, if you're someone creating social media content and you want it to look cinematic and you got to point that camera at yourself, uh, the rig that I have, which is the X-H2S rig. I love this camera. You can actually flip the screen around off to the side. You can see it turn on autofocus. It'll track your face the same way that those Terminator rifles used to <laughs> in movies or in the aliens, right? When they put in the uh, trackable fucking uh, machine guns while the aliens were invading on their little, uh, their little hideaway there. Remember? Mm-hmm. Same tech. And the stuff is so advanced that it knows how not only to track your eyes, your face, your nose, but it knows when your hair is in the way. It also knows when you have glasses on. It's crazy. But what I really like about Fujifilm are their internal looks, the looks that you can apply to the video, to the stills um, in camera. It has an amazing grain rep, uh, replication. There you go. There's a word. Amazing grain replication in there where you can actually turn it from uh, medium to low to high. There's other settings for it as well. Strong, I think, is the setting or something. Really enjoy it. Um, I love, love, love their black and white stuff. You could use their black and white filtration with like a red filter, green filter, etc. So it helps you bring the skies in. It helps you with shadows. It helps you with skin tones. I've shot really, really, really beautiful stills using their internal LUTs. And I know a lot of you are like, well, why don't you just shoot raw? Well, you can if you want, but sometimes when you're just shooting, you want to be inspired by the tool that you're holding in your hands, right? You want to put a filter on something. You want to see how the world looks through something because as you're seeing it live, you can adjust the light. You can adjust the way you see it, shoot it, and that affects the filter. I love that. That's why I use LUTs on set. There was this whole period of time where people were like, hey, I'll just shoot a raw and do it in post. You could see how shitty a lot of those movies look because they're just shooting it for the scopes, shooting it super flat. There's no style. There's no design to it. If you're using a filter, hell, you've heard the stories. If you go back and listen to the show that I did with the Bose folks, we talk about better sound sessions. I used to put empty water bottles in front of my camera to shoot through, to just see the flareage, to see the way it softened things. So why would you not do that with internal LUTs? Doesn't make sense to me right? Use these tools. Use them. Be inspired by them, right? Fujifilm has got so many great options for you out there. Let me see if I can read you something new because uh, I got a whole lot of stuff. Uh, let's see. What can be interesting? Oh, here we go. Let's talk about that autofo autofocus. Unmatched autofocus performance. The autofocusing system on the H2S, that's the XH2S, is not only quick but also highly advanced, capable of working in light levels down to negative 7 e, uh, EV. 
So it's really dark, basically. And keeping up with both fast and erratic moving subjects so it could track you even though you're trying to avoid it. So while it's trying to shoot you in the face, you can run from it. It's still going to shoot you in the face. Uh, it features uh, subject detection autofocus utilizing AI to deliver an unmatched autofocusing performance. Whereas previous X-Series models offer face and eye detection, this new camera uh, detects broadens. So its autofocus broadens to a range of identifiable subjects, identifiable subjects to further enhance autofocusing accuracy. The new system has the ability to identify and track cars, which is cool, track planes, uh, motorcyclists, birds, horses, dogs, cats, and more. Furthermore, the eye and face detection capabilities have been expanded to pick up hairlines, glasses, and face coverings. So if you're doing some sort of cinematic stuff, let's say you want to track um, a bottle on a table and do like a handheld push-in, it'll keep that in focus as you move towards it. <laughs> it's like having an AC in the camera that is pulling focus for you. It's pretty cool shit, man. Check it out. Uh, go to fujifilm.com. Check them out on Instagram. I will post the links in the description of this episode. Finally, last but not least, our friends over at Bear Republic. I'm so excited to have a beer sponsor on the show. I'm so excited to be sponsored by Bear Republic. I have been drinking their beers for years. Uh, I was a huge fan of their Racer 5 IPA, uh, and I have a whole new collection of stuff that just shipped me a bunch of new beers that I'm going to try. I'm excited about. Uh, I love their apparel. I, I lost. The, okay, so here's here's some full transparency. These guys sent me some some free swag, right? You can do sponsor reads. Hey, have some swag. Have some glasses. Have a hat. They sent me one of the coolest hats that I've worn in a long time. I wore it when I went home on the East Coast. I was excited to have it on, and then I lost it. <laughs> I lost the fucking thing. So I went and I bought one. So there you go. I bought one from you guys. Even though you're a sponsor, I went and bought one off the website because I like the hat so much. Uh, definitely go check out all that stuff. If you like their hats, you like their beers, um, they have a discount code for our listeners. It's process 15. This will give you 15% off all of their uh, online store, both beer and merch. And as I said, yes, you can buy beer online. If you're in the state of California, there's a few other states that they ship to. You can actually buy their small batch beers through their website, bearrepublic.com. If they don't ship beer to you because of whatever state laws are enacted, they on that same page will tell you where you can get it tell you who provides it where you could find it in the place near you so check them out i want to hear what kind of beers you guys are drinking uh head uh over to my instagram account at mike petchy or on the podcast and love of the process pod and tell me what uh, bear republics you're trying out today um, i'm excited this week i'm gonna have lance over i gotta get him back on the show you guys love him he's like in the top five episodes lance if you're listening people love you um but you should come over buddy because I have a bunch of their brand new uh, small batch IPAs. Maybe we'll sit down and we'll drink some on the show. Now, remember, this is an ad read for those of you are that are drinking legal age, legal drinking age. Wow, Jesus, Michael. Um, so if you are under 21 here in the U.S., you're going to have to wait around. And if you are over 21, maybe you're brand new to drinking, drink responsibly. And uh, obviously, that means don't drink like an asshole and get in a car, Right. That also means don't drink like an asshole and like uh, start throwing punches in a bar because you think you're cool because you're not. That's not a cool thing to do. Um, but also drink responsibly, like pair your beers right with your food, right? Don't just go buy a fucking 
you know, like a 30 rack of the cheapest shit in the world. At some point, it's just going to taste like the can that it comes in. Buy something good. Drink something great. And if you're looking for a place to start, head on over to bearrepublic.com and check out what they have to offer. All right. There you go. More than an ad read. I tell some stories. I try to do this stuff for you guys. I love you. Uh, and uh, please show some support and love for all of our sponsors. Send them messages on their Instagram pages. Uh, tag me in them. And uh, it's a good way to become a super fan. I'll tell you that. All right, let's get back to the interview. Film is different to, so my background was in um, TV, TV news, TV documentary, so TV factual content. Yeah. And it was, so obviously I, I know there's a, there's a great and rich tradition of, of how to tell a film story, you know, Blake Schneider and, and all those, those other guys. Um, and obviously George Lucas mm -hmm. dipped into Joseph Campbell of his story structures. So there's a, there's a great tradition of story structure study of story structure didn't ever make it into news that so <laughs> when we were like when i was learning to be a journalist you know in my 20s um and you know acquiring the ability to tell stories at all um and it was a it was a ruthless pitching um process because you would you would effectively be pitching sometimes 25 30 stories a day wow wow because because things were changing so much, and you'd be going to editors and, and saying, "Okay, how about this?" Or you know, and and, and so there's this. It was a very very, I mean, hugely fascinating, very dynamic. You know, you, you learned how to pitch. Mm. Um, but what was really interesting about it was, um, you, the reaction you got, especially when you when I was young, I didn't really really understand what I was doing. Um, and you look for people's reactions all the time. You're reading people's faces all the time. This is why, by the way, this is why the pandemic has been a nightmare yeah. for anybody in their 20s who's trying to learn the job because you can't learn the job on Zoom. You just can't because yeah. you can't read people. You can't read people. You can't read the room, right? So in a newsroom, I could you could hear a story coming on the wires, right? And you'd see everybody got excited about it. Yeah, yeah. everybody across the the where you were sitting 15 people all getting excited and you go right okay that's a story or they'd all be laughing at something or they'd all be you know whatever but you could you read the room when yeah. you're learning your job yeah um okay so that's so i was reading the room um and you'd get the kind of either lean forward or lean back lean forward oh yeah yeah that's a, that's a good story or lean back uh, yeah don't know no no boring right <laughs> but but in that situation, there wasn't there wasn't a rule book 
of somebody saying, that's not a story because, and this is a story because. Or if they did, sometimes they'd explain stuff. And the, but the explanations were quite trite. Hmm. Um, so there's, I, I don't know, this this has seeped over into the American journalism. There's, there's gallows humour in, in all professions, obviously. Sure. In journalism, there's a lot. Um, and one of the lines that somebody used to me was, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. As in, like, violent crime, that's that's your lead story. Right. And uh, okay. But then it didn't always happen because, you know, you get somebody like, Stabbed and stabbed outside a nightclub on a Friday night in in one one of the northern English towns as cities, and sadly it happened too often. It wasn't a story. It wasn't certainly wasn't the lead story compared to something else which wasn't about violent crime at all. And you go, well, hang on a second. Well, so it, if it bleeds, it doesn't lead. Uh, if it bleeds, it gets left as news in brief sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just all these kind of things going on, and and I because I felt quite uh shaky i'll be honest i felt for the first oh at least three years of my career i felt on like i was on really shaky ground um really i was desperate desperate for some sort of steer as to what makes you know what what is why is that story is that a story why is that story um and i never really got any never really got any guidance and it was only about probably about 10 maybe yeah 10 years or so into my time with with the bbc with where I was asked to work with some charities who were basically as a, as a kind of charitable gesture, mm. pro bono work, um, to help them pitch better stories about their work to us um, so that we got better stories out of it and they got some better coverage. Oh, weird. Um, Wild. Okay, so quite, yeah, so it was a great thing to do. And, and because I had to go in and talk to these fantastic people who were running these amazing projects, um, and I had to go and talk to them about, okay, here's how you pitch a story. And I thought, oh, well, I better do some reading um, <laughs> as to what, you know, what is a story. So that was when I started getting into the idea of story arcs and the idea of character and the idea of the importance of conflict yeah. and, you know, and all these kind of things. And then I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, that's that's why that's a story. So it started to put to fall into place um, and and – yeah, so now it's now this is pretty much what I teach kind of I teach full time now is 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 the very very basic you know the, like the making the small talk story work yeah. from as basic as that yeah right the way through right the way through to how do you structure a, a pitch uh-huh. and even I still actually do some I, I mean I left I left the BBC about seven years ago but I still do some work with some of their documentary teams um, on okay. How do you apply the tricks of narrative fiction? Yep. Yeah. The structures of narrative. How do you apply those to factual content, where you know you can't you can't make this stuff up, right? It you you you're bound by the facts. Sure. So how do you do it? And um, and it's and it's absolutely fascinating because the two now you know fact and fiction <laughs> there is absolutely very little difference in what you do as a storyteller. I, between yeah. the two. Yes, I agree with you. I've spent years as a documentarian and, and worked on mm. a bunch of different documentaries. And uh, it's it's just, I, I, th- I think the big difference for me was that if you're writing a narrative piece, then you're doing all those beats ahead of time. You're trying to figure out all that stuff yeah. on the page first. 
Uh, With a doc, it's always in the back end. It's always in the edit room where like you're looking at what content that you have and then it's structuring that content in specific ways and how to to create the emotion with how you're revealing certain facts and when you're revealing those facts and how those play out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and and the the timeline. I mean, I say I say to documentary makers now, look, you you have three things you control. You are the author of three things. Um, when you you know you are an author, yeah, uh, you're not just a you're not just an observer. You're you're not basically turning up somewhere, hitting record, and then just recording everything. That's not it. That's not that's not what you do. Right. So I said, look, you've got three these three things that you you control first one is is salience you can you decide what's important and what's not right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and nobody else gets to decide that you decide second one is this the sequence you know you decide in what order you reveal that information yes so yes are you going to do it backwards like memento are you going to do it you know are you going to do it chron- chronologically are you going to do it you know how are you going to how is the past going to emerge into the present and, and, you know, in a dramatic way. Right. And how are we going to be looking to the future? Um, so that so you control the salience, you control the sequence, and you control the standpoint. Yeah. You know, whose eyes are we looking at this through? Um, and, and you know, then you get into also, is this a kind of God view looking down on things? Right. Are you going to, you know, you got to be in, are you going to be like Louis Theroux? Are you going to be in the, in the story? Like first person, like a first person shooter. Um, are you going to be, um, no, are you going to jump from character to character? Uh, and, and look, you know, the, 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 the viewpoint, the standpoint that you're going to take, is it going to jump from character to character? Are you going to allow us, this is where, you know, this is where you get a really great dramatic tension. Yeah. But are you gonna are you gonna play with that kind of that theory of mind thing of well, I know that he knows that she thinks you know, you're gonna are you gonna start playing with that? Right. Where one person is in one person is in the loop and one person is out of the loop. Right. Right. Yeah, one one person knows everything, the other person doesn't. And right, okay, now as the audience it's like Chekhov's gun, you know. On the, you see a gun on the wall in the first act. It's got to go off by the end of the third act. You know, if you <laughs> if you set up, if you set up a, a a a gap in the knowledge, okay. So this family all know something, but this the 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 eldest son doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Right now, we the audience are going right. Come on, what's going to happen? Where the eldest son finds out the thing that all the rest of the, that he's adopted, yeah. And the rest of the family all knew, and yeah, you you can't set up a gap in knowledge without the audience wanting to go. Come on, yes. There's there's a reason why you've given me that gap. I can now see both. You know, I can see the the people who know, and I can see the guy who doesn't know, and and I want to see what happens when the guy finds out. It's, you're cre- you're creating that engagement at that point. You're, yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is basically this is the and that's what that's what a novelist is doing and that's what a, a dramatist is doing. They're basically they're playing around. One of the um, there's a great book I read recently on on called very helpfully how plays work. Um, now, from my point of view, that means look that's how stories work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the guy who wrote it describes this as the choreography of knowledge, huh. and it's like a it's like a series of, of, of dance steps huh. and you know, you're going to waltz us through a series of reveals of information huh. and the dance has many, many different partners. 
It's like a, it's like you know those those scenes from a, from a Jane Austen where there's you know there's a ballroom and there's 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 <laughs> twenty five women and twenty five young men and they're all dancing these intricate patterns. Well, that's what you've got in a story. You have an intricate pattern of people who know stuff and people who don't, yes, and then things that happen to reveal the information. And that's that's the choreography of knowledge. So that was very. Uh, and you, the author of the documentary, the director of the documentary, that's your job. Yeah. I've never heard of it put that way, and it was, it's so illuminating, actually, hearing yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's, 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 it's a, yeah, it's great. Um, thankfully, there are a lot of very smart people out there who've, done, who've written <laughs> yeah. some very good books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got them on my shelf behind me. And, um, yeah, we yeah. could just go buy them and read them and, uh, and build upon all that knowledge. Yes, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Absolutely. Thankfully. Absolutely. Yeah, well, see that. That's interesting. And I think that's why I reached out to you to have you on the show, because I was fascinated mm. with this, you know, the storyteller tactics and the the, the, yes. the cards that you were making, the the card set yep. that you put out there. Um, because, and, and then as with further research, because I think originally it triggered me because as a, as a storyteller, I'm always looking for great ideas or, or good mm. techniques to get ideas flowing and so i was like mm. oh cool but then i saw how you were using this which was like teaching people how to tell stories on pitches and and how to use it yep. for for business which yes. is smart man because mm. and and then with this show we have a lot of people that work in the arts listening to the show we have a lot of people that work yep. in film and yep. we're always hyper focused on like how are we shooting things and what is the final product yeah. and and all yep. that but i think like a big portion at least the past you know, since I moved to Los Angeles, the past, you know, three years of my life have been in that other angle, which is the business side of like, yeah. like, how do I pitch these things? How do I get someone interested? Yep. How do I convince yep. an actor to trust me? All that yeah. stuff. And so that's when yeah. I was like, oh, you're doing some interesting shit here. And that, that could be very yeah. useful for the front end. The, oh. yeah, the, the behind the, you know, so obviously, you know, nothing happens on camera unless, unless, unless you're a kind of student filmmaker with a tiny budget, nothing happens on camera unless there's a powerful business case you know, yes. behind the camera. Yes. Um, so, so no, I mean, I, I, um, you know, I, I've been talking since I say, since I left, I left the BBC seven years ago and it's since then the vast majority of my work has been been with outside of the media so it's been with uh, with designers with entrepreneurs with with estate agents you know real estate agents um with uh manufacturers with engineers with engineers are found the engineers are my favorite i think because <laughs> they think they can't they think they can't tell a story right and they think they really think they can't and then you just nudge them and prod them and dig right, so i'll give you an example a little story so so i do funnily enough i do quite a lot of work in estonia um, and it's a long story, but anyway, I do quite a lot of work in Estonia. Okay, and I was in a session there. And the Estonians are lovely people, but they're quite reticent. Right? They're quite sort of um, you know calm and a little bit shy. Yes, and um, there's a there's a gag about Estonians, like which is how can you tell if an Estonian man fancies you? And the answer is he stares at your shoes. <laughs> Ah, that's funny. <laughs> anyway, so so they're quite the kind of they're, they're lovely, lovely, lovely people. They're quite reserved. Yeah. Um, and okay, so I was doing this my first like face to face session in Estonia with about 
30, 30 people in there, a lot of engineering companies represented and talking to them about the importance of, of story. Mm-hmm. And one of the tactics in, um, in the storyteller tactics is called movie time. And so I say, look, you've got to, you've got to give people some action. You can't just give them facts because they're, they're just dry and dull. You've got to give them some, some action, you know, person doing thing. Then you've got to give them some emotion. Mm-hmm. Because we notice emotion, we remember it, it's a motivating force, all this kind of thing. So anyway, this presentation went on till the coffee break. And in the coffee break, one of these guys came over to me and he said, he's huge, like six foot four. And he comes up and he says very politely, he said, Steve, um, I get what you're saying about emotion, but I'm Estonian and I'm an engineer. <laughs> We don't do emotion. <laughs> and I, I went, oh, okay. And I said, okay, tell me. Tell me about the last time one of your machines broke down. Mm-hmm. And he went, oh, it was terrible. <laughs> and he sort of, you know, and he, just, <laughs> and he went straight into this this story of, of you know, thinking he'd let a client down and arriving on the site in a snowstorm and realizing that actually it was the client's fault that the build of the machine had broken and he fixed it anyway and <laughs> it just went into a fantastic story yeah. um, and the emotions were all there yeah well i mean but just the way you delivered that see i think mm. a lot of people i know that there's left side brain and right side brain folks and mm. there are people that think technically and the people that don't but what I what I liked the most about that story that you told me was the change of voice that you did, where it was oh yeah. that like if that if that <laughs> truly happens he doesn't even realize what he's doing is he's engaging me with the contrast yeah. of what he sounded like before he started this and after and how he sounds now that he's saying it that contrast yeah. alone gets me intrigued and that now I'm into yeah it, you yeah. Know? yeah 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 and 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 you don't need to you only need a little bit of of information a little bit of you need a little bit of information to help people right going back to that tactic i was talking about movie time um you know you the reason why i called it the tactic movie time and the for people who are listening so the story tactics they're basically a they are a um a a5 postcard sized piece of card yep and on the front it, it on the front it tells you the name of the tactic in this case movie time it tells you when you might need to use it and why you should use it. And then you flip the card over and on the back, it tells you how to use it. So three stages. Um, you know, if you want to talk, to, if you want to give people a story, give them the action, you know, people doing things in a real time and place, give them some emotion, mm-hmm. and then you can give them the meaning of why I'm telling you this. Okay. So that's how the story tactic works. Um, what's interesting about it is you don't need to give people a lot of information before the movie starts playing. So I told you, I'm in Estonia. I've told you a little bit of, about the, the the nature of these people. The, there's 30 people in a room, and at the coffee break, one of them comes up to me, and he's six foot four. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't remember his name. But anyway, six foot four. It's just, you've got an, a movie in your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little movie playing. It doesn't look anything like the real situation doesn't matter all i need to do is drop in a little bit of information enough enough for you to start your movie running doesn't have to be my movie as long as you've got your movie running because then you're with me yeah and you're actually in the room with me and there's um there's a fantastic piece of of uh, work done i can't remember what it's called what's it called louder than words the book is called louder than words and um 
And basically, it's a, it's a sort of scientific study of how we process language, how we understand language. Yeah. Um, and he, the guy who wrote it said, we, we process the meaning of words by using our visual cortex. So the, the part of our brain that deals with images coming in through the eyes uh-huh. also deals with words coming in through the ears. Huh. So you, when I describe a six-foot-four Estonian engineer coming up to me in a conference room, yeah, yep. those are just words, but you're actually you're visualizing them completely. In order to, in, so you so effectively you're running a little movie. What's amazing? What's really truly amazing about our you know our, our this is what comes back to our kind of empathetic ability that comes from story storytelling and story listening. Yeah, is you can write you can run a movie, so I can I can get you in a very few words to to visualize a situation. Right, that's first stage. Second stage, I can put you in the room with me, mm-hmm. so I can say, I can say to you. So, just imagine this guy's come up to you and right, and he's tapped you on the shoulder, <laughs> and he's looking really embarrassed, and he says, "Oh, Steve, right." So I put you in the room yeah. instead of me. Yeah, right. So now you're bodily in the room in your in your in your head movie. You're there. You can see it, and you're in it, and you feel, oh shit. What am I going to say to this guy? Um, <laughs> God, no one's ever asked me that before. Yeah, so now you're feeling the movie. Smart. Oh, yeah. Very Jesus. smart. We are, we are smart people. We are so smart. And, and this is why story is just far and above the simplest, best way to communicate anything you need to say is to, to find a way of wrapping it up in a story. Not no. Listen, I'm going to say anything. I'm going to I'm going to put an immediate caveat on that. Um, this is <laughs> if you've got bad news to deliver, right? So imagine imagine you're in right. You, I don't know if you um, you know you go into a big like movie production company, yeah. And the uh, the CEO comes out and to a room full of a hundred people and says, "Guys, I need to tell you a story." Um, a friend of mine got made redundant um, <laughs> six years ago, and you know what? It was the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah. And everyone in the room is just going what there's redundancies (laughs) just you know don't just shut up shut up cut the crap yeah just tell us what's happening so sometimes yeah story's not the best (laughs) story is not universally the best way of communicating information but it's pretty pretty damn close yeah it's it's crazy it's it's wild when you start to think about it like that because i think i think most people haven't been taught the art of communicating i think we learn communicating through experiencing it right like we when you're younger you start mimicking the way your parents communicate you start some going through this yeah absolutely and you and as soon as you pass the age of five your parents are less and less influential and your friends matter more yeah yeah and now you're now you're trying to say the cool things now you're trying to yeah be the, the yep. most interesting person in the room by just mimicking something that you saw, by buying things and by yep. wearing clothes specific ways. It's fascinating. Yeah. And, and it, it took me a while to sort of wrap my head around it when I, when I decided to get in this business about 20 something years ago, where I'm yep. like, how do stories work and how does storytelling work? And then it's, it's interesting the way that you're, you're putting it together. That's why I'm fascinated about your card set because yes. now you're thinking about, uh, how to communicate with people that are just around you on a daily basis and, and how yes. to tell stories and then uh, whether or not you need to embellish certain aspects of it to keep people interested. It, I, mm. It's 
it's very smart, man, because at the end of the day, if you're trying to, we live in a time period where you would think we have communication on lockdown, right? You would think with all the tools at our disposal that we're able to convey what we're emotionally feeling inside our heads to a a large mass of people. But for some reason, we don't. We still don't on on a public level. We don't know how to communicate. No, and I think also um, the okay. So there's some fantastic things. So I started in the as a professional communicator thirty years ago, and mm-hmm. in that thirty years ago, you needed a lot of money to make video, right? You needed yes. a camera, a studio, edit suite, and a transmitter, yep. right? So you needed millions of pounds to 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 make and and, and publish video. And now you need a mobile phone <laughs> and a decent signal, and you can do it. Um, so that's fantastic, which is fantastic. It's democratized in a way. Um, the, the voice is available to us. Fantastic. But the downside of it is uh, that you've got just too much information out there. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, just too much coming at people all the time. And so, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means you need to be able to cut through the noise uh, you need to be able to get attention, and you need to once you've got attention, you need to be able to deliver on the promise that you made to get our attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so everyday storytelling um, is is the kind of is that the, the business I'm in really. So I'm I'm talking to people about everything from, as I said, we said at the start, the kind of the small talk moments, the off the cuff, spontaneous storytelling which can help you to you know motivate somebody or can help you to change their mood it can help you to bring them over to your side it can help them to make them see you know they can see things your way yeah um and then you know you go, okay take that on a step and you're into well like a formal conversation like a sales you know we, we i'm going to call you at 10 30 we're going to we're going to have, have a sales conversation and again it's the same kind of thing of Okay, so here are the kind of stories that you can use in that situation. Um, okay, and then you go a step further up, and it's into more like, okay, you've got to present your work um, to your boss, and mm-hmm. you've got to argue for more time or argue for more money, and uh, you know, and you're the fifth presentation that she's seen that that morning. Mm-hmm. So again, how do you stand out? And right. as communicators as well. Um, Okay, you. The way that you communicate says something about you. Um, you know, the fact that you were able to tell to Ridley Scott's guys, you were able to tell a, a, a kind of it's almost like an origin story, like a spider story, you know, radioactive spider story, <laughs> like an yes. origin story for your movie. Yeah. But you were able to tell it in a way that didn't go on for too long, didn't bore them, um, got to the point, made the point you wanted to make. And it and it carries so stories stories carry stuff for us to other people. Yeah. And what the 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 probably the most useful thing they carry is trust. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you cannot put trust into a spreadsheet. A hundred percent. And that's what they're looking for. Is they're yeah. looking for that that branch of trust. They're looking for yeah. that for that thing that they can that's that 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 last thing, you know. If they're looking at that spreadsheet and they're like, "Okay, so the numbers say that this is a good idea, and the mm, numbers say that all mm. this is great," but who's this fucking guy? Yep. You know, uh, the, like that question yeah, yeah, is, yeah. "Can I trust this individual? Yeah, are they going to Why lose their stuff? Me? Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, why should I trust you with my money? Ex- yes, exactly, exactly. Fundamentally. Exactly. Yeah. At and, the core um, of it, yeah. Yeah. And what's really interesting about listen, I'm just going to swap my. I've got a, I've got a, a one-sided headphone. I'm going to swap my ears over. Just just bear with me for one second. Sure, of course, man. So I was there. We are. I was, I was <laughs> getting pressure on one ear. Um, thank you. Of okay, course. so the, there's something that as well that I think is really interesting about. Um, okay, so I, I talk to people mostly in business about building trust with stories. Uh, so trust is an emotional state and stories can help you. So, you know, um, your kind of, your origin, your your ice skating story is your kind of origin story. It indicates why I can trust you to stick with that project because you truly believe in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've conveyed that sort of trust. Um, every time you tell a story about a past project or a past piece of work you've done, you're doing the same sort of thing. You're saying, look, there's an example there of, of you could I did that so you can trust me to do this. So that's what we do all the time. We point to previous things we've done. We're telling little stories to build up trust. Yeah. And so the bulk of what I do, I think, with business clients and a, a lot of what's, what Storyteller Tactics is about is, okay, you there are various ways you can build trust with, and if you can't build trust, you are not going to do business with somebody. If you can build trust, okay, now they're listening. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can make that kind of that that that's probably the number one most important emotional connection. Liking someone is good, but trusting them is that you know. Can I trust you to to not rip me off? Can I trust you to deliver on what you say you're going to deliver? Um, that's huge. And, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely huge. And so so the stories carry carry not only. You can trust me. Well, that's 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 kind of handy. That's an emotional kind of connection. But the other area of of story that's really really big is is what the psychologists call social proof, which is look, other people trust me. Oh, right, right. And other people trust me. It, well, so there's the reason why. Okay, here's here's a kind of parallel. Um, if you go into a, a bookstore, like a downtown bookstore, and there will be. Uh, some sort of chart of the best-selling books at the time, yes? Mm-hmm. Like a top 10. There'll be a top 10 business books. There'll be a top 10 books about films, movies. There'll be a top 10, like, spy thrillers, whatever. Sure. Um, there's a there's a New York Times bestseller list, yes? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So if, if you pick up a book on, on the cover, it says, you know, New York Times best-selling author, whoever it is, Daniel Kahneman, whatever, psychologist. <laughs> what that is doing is basically giving you social proof. You know, 1.5 million people or, you know, 50,000 people have bought this book. Right. Well, 50,000 people could be wrong, but but 50,000 people buying this book is better than nobody's bought this book. So it's a kind of so, – so even that is a kind of social proof story that people use to build trust. And so a lot of, a lot of what's in, in Storyteller Tactics are – are ways well firstly it's ways you can there's one tactic the one card in the box called trust me i'm an expert <laughs> and it's about what sort of stories you should be able to tell if you really are an expert what sort of stories you should be able to tell um and then there are all sorts of stories about okay well how do you you know how do you tell stories about things that go wrong um how do you tell stories about lessons you've learned how do you tell stories about so all these kind of things yeah and then we actually get into there's a whole section on story structure. There's a whole bunch of cards on story arcs, um, and I thought I, I kind of ummed and about including them at first, thinking, well, 
do people in business need a story arc? Right, because hmm. actually, you can you can really overdo it with a business presentation, and you can be sort of halfway through your Joseph Campbell's twelve stage <laughs> yeah. hero's journey, and everyone's going, "What the hell? Just tell us what you're selling, mate." Yeah. You know, just what. You, <laughs> so you can really overdo it. But there's something very interesting about within within story arc, and essentially, uh, the, the at its most simple, you know, a story arc indicates there's a kind of roller coaster of good and bad fortune over time um, as the story unfolds. Right. And it, it really matters. It matters in a pitch. It matters in a, you know, it matters in a business meeting. It matters in a presentation of data that you've got some sort of roller coaster because otherwise you're just telling people, this is good. It's going to get better. Don't worry. It's going to be brilliant. Right. Right. You know, this this new product we've made, this thing we're trying to sell to you, it's the best thing. You're going to love it. It's going to be brilliant. It'll solve all your problems. And you're going, yeah, I'd kind of, you know, kind of wish it would. But <laughs> life has taught me to be skeptical right. of you know anything that sounds positive, 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 positive. We literally say it sounds too good to be true, mm-hmm. and then we and we discount it. So if your business message and I'm sure this applies to pitching movies as well. If your business message is, this is brilliant, it's going to get better, and it's going to end brilliant, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be amazing at the end, well, no, that just doesn't work. So it's the the story arc is, well, okay, this is what we're going to try and do. We might hit some problems along the way. Last time we had a problem like that, right? we dealt with it like this. right. Right, and then we got onto where we really wanted to be, which was a much better place. And so you introduce the setback, the the the, the downswing of the roller coaster, in a business story, just the same as you would in a in a in a in a movie. You know, if you don't give people the down, they don't value the up. Well, and there's also something fascinating about that lesson that you learn in the down, because my experience oh, yeah. my experience has always been that I learned something that. Not only I had no idea about, but then it also spins me off on in a new direction, and then that new direction yeah. is so in, enticingly original that you're yeah. at that point going, "Thank God we had that error because yeah. this created this wonderful bridge that is the yep. thing that everybody loves about this thing that we're doing is because of that error." There's a great um, lecture, still find it on YouTube, where Kirk Vonnegut, um, the guy who wrote Slaughterhouse-Five, mm-hmm. um, he's giving us a lecture on story structure, and he talks about story arcs. Um, and he's based his favorite story arc, and it's one of, probably one of my favorite tactics in the, in the box, is, and he calls it the story of a man in a hole. And he said he draws the arc out, and it's basically like um, – going from left to right you start out on kind of you know you start out okay on the level and then something happens that knocks you down or you fall down into a hole mm-hmm. and that's basically if you if you do nothing then you're dead so you have to climb out of the hole right but you don't climb out back to where you were before because that would be stupid you climb out to a, a you by the time you've climbed out you're a better and wiser person because you won't fall in that hole again yeah. Um, so that that idea and that and that's that story arc is, you know, it's the story arc of, you know, it's your first day at school, your first day in a new job. You know, you go from your comfort zone into what you hope is going to be better, but it's not. It's worse. 
yeah. and it's painful and it's embarrassing and it's awkward and it's and it's expensive and it's confusing and all these things and you know you bring a new you know, like assistant director in and they don't like you and and you, your actors get you know all the it gets it's just it's a, it's a, it's a mess yeah it's conf- and it's and it's a real negative feeling but that's where you learn well that's where you lose all your old naivety Mm-hmm. And that's where you learn your new skills. And then you climb, assuming you can, you climb out of that hole to a better place. And, um, yeah, if you don't give people the the sense of that, you know, if you try and tell them it's all going to be easy, well, first of all, if it's going to be easy, I'd be doing it already. Yeah, and there's something really interesting about telling that man-in-a-hole story. If you're trying to get convince people to give yeah. you to give you their all, like if you're yeah. if you're too perfect, then you get put on this pedestal, and then people are intimidated by you, and there's yeah. a sort of like intimidation yeah. that comes through. But if you're sitting there saying like, "I did this, I failed, yeah. I failed here, and yeah. I did this terribly," and then that yep. person might be connecting with that, saying, yeah. "I have failed like that too," or "I might fail yep. like this," and you now have yeah, yeah. you know the consequences of that failure, and you're still okay, and you're not judging yep. me for it. I like this guy. Yep. Like I want to work. Yeah, for yeah, this. absolutely right. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And we learn, you know, we learn stuff. <sighs> we learn stuff. We learn from mistakes. Now, the thing is, the great thing is, we we learn almost as effectively from other people's mistakes as we do from our own. Yes. Um. No, which is great. The great contribution of culture to our our survival as a species is that you know. So when you, if you tell a story about a mistake, um you know about something going wrong hard lesson whether it's yours or somebody else's you can guarantee people will listen because we're we're primed um we're primed if you've if you're going to tell us something new and useful <laughs> which is what fundamentally what stories are doing um you know there's some new useful information here um well we're, we're wired we're wired to hear it and then all you've got to do is deliver because if you promise people new useful information and then then don't give them anything new or useful they won't listen to you the second time um so it's a you know, it's not a science it's a craft um yeah but but yeah it's it, it the this this there's something going on with with kind of you know information getting new useful information to people but also and I've, and I've kind of i've been this is this has been a bit of slow dawning on me but there's also something I used to say to people, look, it's about new useful information, socially useful information. Uh, that's what stories giving you. Yeah. It's actually doing something else as well. Stories are giving us an emotional hit of some kind. So if you, you know, if you read a Jane Austen, if you'd read Pride and Prejudice, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting a kind of emotional reward from joining a close circle of young women who are trying to find their way in the world and trying to find a husband if you like reading war stories you're you know you're joining a band of brothers and you're and you're getting that emotional kind of hit mm-hmm. or you're you're reading you know you're reading don quixote and you're looking down on on poor old don quixote and his misguided adventures and and feeling a bit superior right but yeah, you're like kind of you're getting an emotional reward living vicariously so my wife, essentially right exactly see my wife has just spent the last month and a half reading almost all of the game of thrones novels and <laughs> and she can't put them down and because they're giving her some emotional fix it's true right um and so the 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 trick i guess 
It's like you know when you when someone tells you a really good joke and you like and you you want to tell somebody else you want to tell your friend this really good joke you heard mm-hmm. right and so you're thinking oh god what was it? how did it go how did it go and you almost it's like you start remembering it you start with the punchline mm-hmm. and then you work backwards right right yeah because you start with the the thing that made you laugh out loud mm-hmm. and then you work backwards because and then you tell the joke forwards obviously uh, because you're trying to make your friend have the same emotional feeling that you had which is laughter that's storytelling um, yeah that's storytelling well yeah. yeah so storytelling can be it storytelling is more because you can you can make people laugh you can make them cry you can make them angry you can make them feel brave you know you can make them you know you can make them do all kind feel all kinds of things and that's why we go to novels that's why we go to dvds we, and netflixes and you know whatever that's why i'm playing video games because the the story inside a, a video game we want that feeling mm-hmm of that emotion, whatever it is with whatever novel we're picking up, we're picking it up for an emotional fix. And so obviously in your business, like, yeah, you're giving us the emotional fix constantly, but in my, my clients, they're not, they don't think they're doing that, but they are, you know, they, they're trying to say, for example, it's a, an entrepreneur who's got a new product on the market and trying to get people to buy the new product. And he's, he's excited Mm-hmm. about what he's done and he's excited about the potential and he's committed to this 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 greener piece of you know this new technology is going to be greener and cleaner and <laughs> you know and, and this and he's excited about it and yeah. my job is to help him s- to pass that excitement on to take to what the, there's an emotional state what's the story yeah that's going to get that emotional and it might be that it's the story of the moment at you know 10 o'clock at night in the laboratory when it finally, you know, he finally figured out what it was that was stopping him from finishing the, what, you know, it's, it's, it's a moment in time where, where the emotion was really strong. Yeah. Um, and I, that's my job is to get them to go back into that moment. Right? It makes sense. And, it makes sense. It. Yeah. It makes sense. I, yeah. I'm constantly told that I'm passionate because of that. And I think mm, that good. the, the, it took me a while to learn all this stuff. I wish I had your cards yeah. when I was learning this stuff. It would have been a lot easier. <laughs> so, so do I wish I had my cards 25 years ago, I'll tell you. Yeah, would have been a lot easier. Um, yeah. But you, you sort of stumble, for me, I stumbled in, into these nuggets. And really it was when I started to get asked to speak at, at uh, like events and, and to speak yep. in front of crowds. And it was really the exchange of, of folks and asking questions and seeing strangers and, and when they're enthralled and when they're not enthralled and when you could start yep. to see them sort of like fade out and drool off. Yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, yeah. okay. So, and, and it's it, it's not hard to do, I don't think. I think it's just an awakening that has to happen in, in your mind where you start, yeah. to, you start to process, as any storyteller, whether you're a movie maker or whether you're uh, someone that you know, created some new uh, pharmaceutical product. And, and yep. you're just examining what your words do to other people, like how your words yeah. affect them and how your body chemistry yeah. affects them. And um, I love all that. I mean, that's what we do as, a, as directors. Like you're creating characters yeah. and you're, 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 you're trying to trick a, a room full of people into believing that that flat surface that was just white 10 yeah. minutes ago is actually a doorway yep. into a whole other universe. And it, yeah, it's through yeah. all these techniques and tricks that we're talking about. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's just, it's such a, yeah, such an amazing, and we've been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. It, like yeah. when you were explaining 
a couple of stages ago when you were talking about it. I, I was just imagining myself sitting around a campfire and you're mm. you're standing on mm. the other end, illuminated by mm. flames and with a bloody mm. arm going, don't go in that hole. There's a, there's a bear in that hole. <laughs> everybody going, okay, the hole to the right. No one goes in that. I mean, that's- Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the, the stories that affect us the most are those things. So- yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, cool. Absolutely man. right. It's very cool. And learning, and I say, we 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 are so happy to learn from other people's mistakes. Yeah. So we, you know, downfall stories are you know everything from sort of Macbeth to yeah Harvey Weinstein. You know, no matter. Yeah. We love those stories because well, it's like lo, look how the mighty have fallen. We like that. Yeah. Um. There's a there's a there's an underdog in all of us. So so. In the in the UK, we have this football competition called the FA Cup, which I, you may you may a soccer competition called the FA Cup. I don't know anything about. Where, okay, well, so you've got the top five league, four leagues of English football are professional, and then you've got a bunch of like you've got about another ten or fifteen leagues going down into the grassroots of football okay. who are non-professional. Uh, now, what's interesting in this FA Cup, which is a knockout competition, it starts right at the bottom. And the grassroots clubs fight each other for these places, and the, and then a few of them make it up, and so eventually you'll get in the later rounds of the competition, you might get a Manchester United playing against, uh, I don't know, a tiny, tiny club that no one's ever heard of. Oh, uh, the old Cinderella right? story, yeah, yeah, yeah. The old, yeah, the old underdog story, and of course, everyone who's not a Man United fan, everyone is rooting for. Blythe Spartans, this kind of club from the northeast of England that that you know that's had a good cup run. Yeah. Everybody wants them to beat the giant, yeah. right, the giant killer. <laughs> and you know why? So I and I think why is it? Why? Why does I don't mind? I mean, I like rooting for the underdog as much as anyone else. But why? Yeah. Why do we root for the underdog? Why do we love a giant killer? Huh. Why? Okay. And the answer is the answer is this: we can remember being children, little children. Like three years old, when you were three years old, your mum or your dad or your aunties or whatever could literally physically pick you up. If you were if you were misbehaving or you weren't doing what you were told, they could pick you up and they could put you where they wanted you to be. Mm. Yeah. They could make you go and sit in the car seat or make you go to bed or yeah, you know, they so as children we lived in a land of giants. Fascinating. Yeah, and so all those fairy stories, Jack the Giant Killer, Jack and the Beanstalk, all of these stories are about, they speak to children's frustration at living in this land of giants. And all the underdog stories you ever tell, when I respond to an underdog story, it's because I can remember how that feels. Part of me, deep down, can remember how it feels to be powerless Mm -hmm. and to be facing a giant. And what do we want? We want to be able to take on and to, to slay the giant. That's what we want. So that's why the, the underdog story is one of our favorite ever, ever stories. Because everybody listening to an underdog story was once a small child. Huh. That's an interesting f- perspective on it. I never thought of it that way. Mm. Huh. Yeah. That I makes see. a lot of sense. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> that came from a really good book on the uh, the psychology of fairy tales, um, <laughs> which I've read quite recently. Sadly, I read that book after I'd finished writing Storyteller Tactics. <laughs> so, Giant Killing, Giant Killing isn't in Volume One of Storyteller Tactics. I was going to say it's in the it's in the expansion pack. <laughs> Exactly. We're talking. Well, I've got a, I've got a bunch of expansion packs gone to the illustrator right now, talking about archetypes, which is very interesting. And then I'm I'm working on a bunch of I'm working on a bunch of expansion packs. One of one I'm calling Cinematic Universe, hmm. which is a a pack for people who need to tell a lot of stories that need to be in a kind of consistent consistent style. Or consistent universe, um, so I think I'm going to put giant killers into cinematic universe. Oh, I love what you're a, doing. Um, I love I, uh, <laughs> I love this. It's been a good conversation. This has been a fantastic conversation, and I, oh, I Mike, love thank you, you very much. Yeah, man, I love your attentiveness to the art of speaking with folks and the art of communicating, mm. and mm. I think it's very important right now. I really do. I think mm. that there's. Mm. A group, large group of us that are not really listening and not really yep. communicating, and they don't have the yeah, skills yeah. to communicate. And if everybody sort of understood yep. these skills, then maybe we wouldn't have half the issues that we do right now. So, one of one of my favorite cards in the book in the box is called Story Storyish Conversations, and it's about exactly that. It's about listening and teasing out what is the, what is the other person's story. Mm-hmm. And, and teasing it out and listening genuinely, not just waiting for a moment to jump in and say your piece, yep. but kind of listening genuinely and making sure somebody's heard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I take it for granted because that's what we have to do on the show. But mm. I like the skills that I've learned from doing the podcast for five years, I use in conversation. Yeah. It's all subconscious Absolutely. at this point. Yeah. You're just like, yes. You know, that's why it's. That's why it sucks when we use like Zencaster and we have that delay over the uh, the ocean here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, look, Steve, it's been wonderful chatting mm. with you. I, yeah. I, this you is too, about Mike. The, this is about the time we should cut it off. Um, let's talk a bit about the the cards. So mm. you did a. This was all put together through a uh, Kickstarter, correct? Is that how you set the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, so basically, um, really, okay. The, the story behind the cards. Um, I was doing working with oh, I don't fifty or sixty different clients across the, the space of any one year. Mm-hmm. Every time I go in with a client, I do a bespoke deck for presentation purposes of of kind of explaining things and some worksheets. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was finding by the sort of you know halfway through the the year i was going oh, for god's sake i know i've written that technique down and i've made a worksheet and i can't bloody find it yeah. in my own violent system <laughs> so i was like right okay i've got to make a little deck of my own cards so i can flick through and pull out the ones i need mm-hmm. and that's, that's, so i'd got as far as designing a deck of what would go where and at that point i was contacted by a publisher who who i'd worked with briefly 3 years earlier and he'd remembered me and he said I've got this deck of cards called Workshop Tactics, which helps people to run workshops. I'd like to do a deck of Storyteller Tactics. Um, and so I was like, yes, obviously, yes. Right. Um, and the difference was he was, he, Charles, his name is called, um, Charles is very sharp on marketing mm. and very sharp on things like Kickstarter. And so we basically, we put the product, I wrote the cards. Um, he helped me rewrite the cards to, to make them better. And then we put the 
the product together on Kickstarter with a just a prototype pack um, and raised. We've, we targeted ten thousand pounds, and by the end of the first four weeks, we'd raised about eighty thousand. I think. Wow. Um, wow. For people who were willing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why do you th- Why um, do you think that is? Why do you think it was so successful? I I think it's back to that thing I said right at the beginning. Is like imagine me as a young journalist, twenty two, twenty three years old, and people. Everyone is saying in that business, and and everyone is saying now in every business, you've got to have a good story. Yeah. You've got to have a good narrative, and nobody's telling you how. True. It's very true. Like I said, I, I had to learn through trial and error, so it's very true. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's a gap. People know that they ought to be telling a story, and yet they don't really know what that means. Um, and there's not a lot of – there's some fantastic, fantastic material out there for film writers mm-hmm. and script writers mm-hmm. yep, to yep. write. There's a lot of great stuff around story structure, but there's not – any thoughts, very little out there, which is about business, what I call business storytelling, um, which is far less elaborate and doesn't need to be elaborate and is, you know, is far more directed towards, you know, building a trusting relationship or one-to-one. Um, so, yeah, there just it wasn't a lot of stuff out there. And, and we, we kind of hit, so we've got this happy marriage, really, between, you know, I, I love writing the content. And as I say, I've got, I've got another probably 50 cards there's 50 cards in the box and i've i've got another sort of 50 (laughs) written down ready to go um but they need a bit of work um and charles is really 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 good at the 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 marketing stuff i I have people who i haven't seen for years contacting me and say i saw your advert on facebook the other day i I have no idea how yeah (laughs) no you guys you guys you guys got me through that too you guys you guys did a good job with them Mm mm-hmm well, yeah, 100%. Man. Well, I'll tell you what, though. That's the last thing I will say, though, Mike, about the cards is um, that I've never I've, – I've done lots of work with lots of different people. And when you finish a piece of work with somebody, more time, more often than not, they say, oh, thanks, that was really good. Okay. Um, what I get with these story cards is – because we've got about, oh, I don't know, 40,000 customers out there now probably. Mm-hmm. I get contacted – Probably every week, I get an email or a, or a LinkedIn message from somebody saying, "Thank you, these are brilliant," or words to that effect. And I'm kidding you not; that's the kind of thing I get. So I get unsolicited positive feedback that's three wonderful. or four times a month. That's wonderful. And I've never had that before, and I thought that it's really hit a nerve. It's really hit a, a hit something. Yeah. No, it's so nice, isn't it? I mean, because mm. I get that, especially when you're doing BBC stuff and you're doing news network stuff. The only time yep. the audience reaches out to you is when they're pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. usually, yes. Yeah. So, so yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They ignore you until they're pissed off enough to pick up the phone yeah. or to write something on <laughs> yeah. social media. But in this case, it's no, it's the opposite. I'm getting unsolicited positive feedback, which has, has never happened before. That and must it's, feel it's great. really good, man. That must feel really good it to does, get that. It does, yeah. I, mean, I, feel, I, feel, I feel blessed. Well, man. I'm I'm happy to have met you, and I'm happy to have had this conversation, man. It's yeah, and you as well, Mike. It's really great. I, I got to get my hands on that uh, a deck of those cards because I'm fascinated by them. I'm fascinated with what you're doing, and um, how does the public yeah. get them? Are they for sale now? Or do, are they out? Yeah, they're yeah. No, we we went through the the whole Kickstarter thing. Then the global pandemic shut down the supplies, and it was a real nightmare. But <laughs> we've now got a warehouse in in America somewhere with uh, ten or fifteen thousand editions of the the tactics nice. um 
ready to roll. So yeah, the 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 publisher is called Pipdex. So P I P D E C K S Pipdex, and uh, the website's pipdex.com. Um, and uh, yeah, basically there are there are a number of different decks there now but so there's four or five different decks and storyteller tactics is is one of them um and we're shipping as i say europe europe and america are shipping kind of pretty pretty rapidly now very cool very cool well i'll be sure to have those links in the description of today's episode um thanks mike that's really appreciate that well of course steve and i really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this much it's nice to have my brain open up a little bit to this. It just feels refreshing to have a conversation with someone that really cares about talking to people. So, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you as well, Mike. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you. everybody there it is great conversation with steve um i really like talking to the guy and it's it's a bummer that there's an ocean between us we were just offline i just said goodbye to him offline and uh he's like if i come to california can we come hang out and let's get some beers and yes please i feel like this conversation would have been a whole lot more immersive if it was in the same space uh once again zancaster get your shit together um but I hope you guys enjoyed it, man. I hope you guys learned some stuff. I hope you you took away some tricks and techniques and tips. Get your brain thinking about how to make my ideas sellable, how to get folks to listen to me, how to cure that thing that when you, you're telling the story that you think is so intriguing in your head and people are just sort of nodding off in front of you. Learn to communicate. Learn to pace, pace yourself. Learn to embellish. Sometimes stories need to be embellished. I have friends and people that sort of roll their eyes and they go, I've heard that story before and you embellish this and that. And they go, yeah, but the core is still there. The essential stuff is still there. Of course I have to embellish at this moment because I know that this is a down moment in my storytelling. And I've seen it before. So if I embellish it slightly here with strangers that have never heard the story before, they're in, man. I'm not lying. I'm just adjusting it so that way it hits harder. The emotional core is still the same. The experience is still the same. It's all about storytelling, man. It's all about storytelling. And these techniques that we take for granted as filmmakers, as songwriters, as chefs, these are the same techniques that you could be using to better communicate with people. And maybe, just maybe, if we all figure out how to communicate better, It'll solve a lot of fucking conflicts that we have, a lot of fights that we have, a lot of battles that we have. I've been using therapy to learn how to communicate better. I'm using something like this to learn even more about communicating with folks. Maybe I'll get someone on the show and we'll talk about body language, which I think is really important. Um, All these techniques will make you a better storyteller and dare I say, will make you a better human being. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. It's a good one. Uh, lots more on the way. Um, and uh, that's it, man. I'm tired. I'm out of here. 
Thanks for listening to the show. We'll play a track on the way out. And as always, I'll see you next Tuesday.